Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 245, Kamara Usman versus Colby Covington. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday in the fight capital, Las Vegas, Nevada. Three title fights on the line for the UFC's uh, last pay-per-view of the year. I've been waiting for this card for a long time. It's not all the time we get blessed with three title fights and then the caliber of fighters on this card. I mean, you got about five or six fights that could headline fight nights on their own. Peter Yan, Marlon Marais, Faber's on this card as well. So, I mean, uh, it's, a, it's a stat card from top to bottom and, I, and I'm excited, man. Well, you just said the word blessed and uh, in the co-main event, you got the man named Max Blessed Holloway trying to defend his title one more time, trying to extend that record and uh, he's got a very tough challenge ahead of him here in Alexander Volkanovsky. 100%, man. This is a possible Max's toughest test to date at 145. I know that he lost earlier this year to Dustin Poirier at 155, but now at 145, a, a weight class where I think he's put away 13 people in a row. You got to think this might be his toughest test. Volkanovski, 23-1. and one. His last three fights, he's been looking better and better. Uh, it's a, definitely a step up in competition, and uh, let's see let's see how it goes. And in the featured bout, which is also a title fight between Amanda Nunes and Jermaine Durand, I mean, a lot of people don't know, but they've actually met once before in the past, very long time ago, before both of them even got a chance to touch gold now they meet uh with 135 pound gold on the line yeah this is a rematch uh, i think they fought maybe six years ago uh amanda nunez got the first round finish uh, i know she's looking to repeat that and jermaine coming off that 16 second knockout of, over aspen lad who just uh won her last fight so it's a, it's a good fight amanda nunez the greatest of all time female fighter so uh i'm interested to see how she performs i mean when you look at the resume of a young lady like amanda nunez you're talking about finishes over Ronda Rousey, Chris Cyborg, even the opponent she's fighting this Saturday, Jermaine Durandamy, Misha Tate. So a second win over Jermaine Durandamy. It's only going to elevate her GOAT status uh, that much more. Yeah, 100%. Jermaine is right up under Amanda in terms of the biggest threats out there in the in the female fighting game. And uh, Jermaine is a big opportunity. Let's not forget she has the opportunity to also become a, a champion in two different divisions as well. So Not simultaneous, but still a great accomplishment nonetheless. And uh, I'm very excited to talk about this whole card. Got to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Flav CBD. Make sure you guys go to FlavCBD.com. Use that promo code BATTLE to save 10% off any purchase. Flav is the official THC and CBD sponsor of Half the Battle. So check them out at FlavCBD.com and use that promo code BATTLE to save 10%. And Shaq, let's get right down to business because first up in the middleweight division, we got Oscar Pijota, he's 11-2, and, and Puna Haley Soriano is 6-0. and Currently, they got Oscar Pijota minus 120. The comeback on Puna Haley Soriano is plus 100. Well, Shaq, as you remember, Oscar Pijota was once considered the prospect uh, at middleweight. He came into the UFC with an undefeated record. He's a Robert Drysdale black belt. Cage Warriors champ. Yeah, the whole bit. Unfortunately, took two back-to-back -back setbacks. You think he gets back on track here against the tough Hawaiian and All-American wrestler Soriano? Yeah, this is a, a great fight to open up the car. Both these guys are finishers. Puna Haley, I think he was 5-0 or 6-0 going into his contender series fight against Jamie Pickett. And, I mean, he dominated that fight. Got a 30-26 scorecard. I mean, was it the first round KO that everyone was expecting that the highlight reel that he has on on his local scene? But, hey, he fought the best guy that he ever fought before and still dominated him. So, I think the uh, Puna Haley cardio issues, I don't want to say are overblown, but against a guy like Oscar Pijota, when you look at his two UFC wins, Jonathan Wilson. I mean, that guy's not UFC caliber. And Tim Williams, you know, not not UFC caliber 
everywhere either. So, and then when he fought, when he stepped up in competition against Mershard, he started off that fight really well. Dropped Mershard, took him down, had him in some bad spots. Mershard does put himself in bad spots from time to time, and. Piotr completely gassed out when he got pushed, and he took a beating. I mean, that fight could have got stopped on several different occasions. I mean, I think he took a lot more damage uh, than he was expecting and that he needed to take, and then he takes that fight against another 5-0 guy, a, a jiu-jitsu guy, Vieira. But, you know, we thought Piotr was a black belt himself. We thought he could... Uh, the Drysdale black belt could handle, handle himself a little better, but he didn't, man. He got completely wiped out. Um, so now he's fighting Punahaley. I think Punahaley's the faster, stronger, uh, younger guy. I think if Punahaley keeps his fight at distance, I think he's going to look a lot better. I think he's got that explosiveness to uh, to touch a guy like Oscar up. I, I don't think Oscar has the best chin. I mean, even in that Tim Williams fight where he got that knockout, I mean, some of those exchanges were real 50-50. I mean, he was wobbling a little bit. And I think that he's got a suspect chin, and I think Punahaley... Comes out here and gets a first-round knockout, so I'll go with Puna Haley. Man, this is one hell of a fight because, obviously, when you talk about Oscar Bihota, like we already alluded to, he's got the black belt under Robert Drysdale. He's got knockout power as well, as you saw in the Tim Williams fight. And even his regional fight right before his UFC debut knocked some guy out in 30 seconds. So, skill-wise, Oscar Bihota ain't that bad. He can knock guys out. He can tap guys out. I've seen him win decisions. So, in terms of the skill, kid's pretty good. But where I have an issue with Oscar Pijota is the confidence, and I don't want to question the guy's heart. He's very tough, but I don't think he's got that mean streak in him, man. It seems like he kind of backs up in all of his fights, and if you're uh, if you're not as uh, skilled as he is, he can go out there and put you away, but if you got some kind of heart in you, if you're a very tough fighter, if you're uh, born in an island called Hawaii... You might have what it takes to come out here and beat Oscar Pijota. Not to mention this kid Puna Haley Soriano. People act like he's some brawler, but he's actually a D3 All-American wrestler. So he definitely has uh, something in his back pocket if things aren't going according to plan on the feet. But on the feet, I think things will go according to plan because this kid is a very explosive southpaw. And I know you guys remember when I called Brad Tavares a uh, Hawaiian Bisbing. Well, this kid is a uh, Hawaiian Vitor Belfort with wrestling. Very explosive from that southpaw stance. Throws punches and bunches. And when he gets you hurt and he starts to tee off on someone, it could be over shortly after because his flurries are on point. He has knockout power. And most importantly, he's got that Hawaiian warrior spirit, that will to win. And I think that if this fight hits the trenches, Puna Haley Soriano is definitely going to show off his uh, well-rounded skill set here. Just has to avoid, you know, little moments such as not letting the black belt take his back, don't get caught with a big punch. And I think as long as uh, those things don't happen, Puna Haley Soriano is either going to win by knockout or by decision. So I'm going with the Hawaiian here as well. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got Jessica I. She's 14 and 7, and Viviane Araujo is 8 and 1. Currently, they got Viviane Araujo, minus 185. The comeback on Jessica I is plus 160. Well, I'm going to take this one first, Shaq, and just go right off the bat and say that Jessica I, in her last fight, she challenged for a title, which, you know, I believe it was the co-main event of the evening. Now she's second fight of the evening. This is definitely a, a big step down in the card. And in a way, it's a step down in competition as well. But what I want to say about Jessica I is that, look, the skill set is on point. Even though there are a lot of openings in terms of she keeps her chin in the air. She's been doing that her entire career. You guys saw Viviana Araujo in that USC debut throwing some big overhand rights. And I believe those are going to be a big weapon here against uh, Jessica I. 
And But the most important thing I want to say about Jessica I is that she's what I like to consider a streaky fighter. You know, she's not going to win one, lose one. What she's going to do is win three, then lose four, then, you know, win two, lose two. So right now she's on that cold streak. That means she's about to take a couple L's back to back. Uh, and I think now's the time to capitalize. So I'm going to go with Vivian Araujo in this spot. I think that her movement is going to be too much for Jessica I. And Jessica still hasn't fixed that issue where she she doesn't move her head off that center line, Shaq. And uh, when you're dealing with someone that throws big overhands, uh, such as Vivian Araujo, I do think that's recipe for a knockdown. I do think that's recipe to eat big shots. So whether she gets the knockout or not, I still think Vivian's going to land the harder shots. And I think she's going to go out there and break the will of Jessica I. So I see Viviana Arujo coming out here and getting her third UFC victory. I think Viviana Arujo is a great prospect at 125. I mean, I bet on her last fight against Alexis Davis, uh, who was number seven at the time. And it was more so to Alexis Davis is kind of real slow, uh, gets hit a lot on a L streak. He makes some good points about I being uh, streaky. I definitely think I is the best chick Vivian's fought. You know, I think I is a, a lot better of an athlete than Alexis Davis or Toledo Bernardo. Uh, I think I think Viviani's got some good movement, but in that fight with Alexis Davis, there were some times where she kind of, the way that she was coming out so early with that movement, she kind of was slowing down in the late rounds, and she might be able to slide through against uh, a slow aging competitor like Alexis Davis, but against Jessica I, it's definitely going to be a tougher test. I does have good striking, a good right hand, uh, some good wrestling, uh, so I think it's the toughest test. I think Arujo's got the skills to to definitely pass this. Uh, you don't know how is going to react uh, coming off that vicious KO against Valentina. I mean, she was out for unconscious for a very, very long time and sometimes when we see these girls take those vicious KO losses like that man uh they just uh don't have it anymore so I, I do think it's kind of a perfect timing thing for Vivian but for the skill department I think it's a step up in competition I, I do think I might have some advantages in the fight but uh I'll take Vivian but I, I don't want to say it's a dog or pass situation just because uh is coming off this vicious KO loss but at this point, I think uh, there's not much value on Harujo. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got Brandon Moreno. He's 15 and five, and Kaikara France is 20 and seven. Currently, they got Kaikara France minus 165. The comeback on Brandon Moreno is plus 145. Shaq, a lot of people think that Brandon Moreno got the short end of the stick in his last fight. I think he might have deserved to get his arm raised against Askarov. Now he's got a chance here against uh, the undefeated UFC prospect. He's lost in the past, but not inside the octagon. Kaikara France, who comes out of city kickboxing. You obviously know Israel Adesanya, Alex Volkanovsky, all the great fighters they have there. <laughs> You think uh, France is going to come out here and uh, keep the win streak alive for City Kickboxing, or you see Brandon Moreno getting back on track? Yeah, it's a great fight. Uh, I, I like when I like the flyweights, man. Uh, so both these guys were on the same season of tough, uh, the Henry Benavidez season. They both lost to Pantoja. Both of them kind of went on their different paths. I mean, after the show, Kai Carr of France didn't even get a contract. He had to go back to the local scene, go back and get wins. Uh, Moreno, but Moreno got that short notice call against Smoka, beat him, beat Ortiz, and was a top 10 flyweight for a long time there, but the way he lost against Sergio and Pantoja, I mean, he just, it seemed like uh, he got completely blown out the water and that he kind of looked chaotic at times, so they cut him when the flyweight division was kind of dissolving, uh, and he looked good against the undefeated Russian Askarov, who's a scrambler. I think Kaikar France has got way better stand-up than Askarov. I think Askarov uh, has a good fight with Tim Elliott. I think that's going to be a good fight, but I think that... uh Moreno definitely looked a lot better, definitely was operating better. He's very tricky on the ground. 
Kai Carr France, this ground game still a little bit of a working progress, but we saw in his last fight it's getting better. I mean, he slammed Mark De La Rosa with the single leg, uh, stuffed the, pretty much all his takedowns. Uh, Kai Carr France is getting better. I respect him for that Paiva fight down there in uh, New Zealand. I mean, that was a war. He some I, I actually bet on Paiva in that fight, thinking Kai Carr France maybe not uh, didn't have the heart to get through a fight like that. But hey, he got through it. I feel like the kid's making significant gains fight to fight i think he's got the higher ceiling than moreno but i think moreno uh from a betting perspective does kind of present some challenges he's just a tough gritty mexican that you know if this does become a, a dog fight maybe he can uh can uh, make kai car france resort to some old tendencies but i think that kai car france is significantly the better puncher and i think that if he keeps his fight standing he can win this fight uh, by landing the harder shot, so I'll pick him to win. Man, it's going to be one hell of a matchup. I cannot wait. Obviously, Brandon Moreno is really known for his submission grappling, his scrambles, and this guy goes out there and gets on top of you. You might not get back up the rest of that round. Also, same thing if he takes your back. So Kai Kara France has to come out here and be the sharpest version of himself that he's ever been so far in his UFC career. And I got to tell you what, this kid Kai Kara France is extremely talented, man. I've been very impressed with his UFC run. Obviously, we faded him against Paiva at that plus two. 200 something line and it was a very close decision could have gone either way but since that point uh you saw his subsequent fight the guy's going out there putting in work and uh the biggest asset that he brings to the table besides his well-rounded skill set is how about that knockout power man that kid for a flyway he hits extremely hard and when he touches these guys on the chin they tend to go down so it's going to be a great dynamic to see uh kai car france trying to keep this fight standing while brandon moreno tries to create scrambles tries to take his back tries to force him to take a bad shot, capitalize on his neck that way. So I do think it's going to be one hell of a fight, and it might actually be a dogger pass situation at the betting window. But as a pure pick, I'm leaning more towards the favorite Kai Kara France, man. I think he's the more well-rounded guy. I'm not going to say he's the more seasoned guy because they're both pretty damn experienced fighters, but it seems at this point that Kai Kara France has more avenues and more areas to win, so I'm going to pick him for that reason, but it's not going to surprise me one bit if Brandon Moreno goes out there, takes his back, chokes him out, or or keeps him down on the ground for a decision, but my pick will be Kai Kara France in this fight. Now next up in the featherweight division, we got Daniel Tamor. He's 7-3, and three, and Chase Hooper is 8-0. and oh. Currently, they got Chase Hooper minus 115, and Daniel Tamor is minus 105. Well, Shaq, you got the teenage dream, Chase Hooper, trying to keep that undefeated record alive against uh, David's brother, Daniel Tamor. This is a great fight. Uh, the main event of the fight past prelims, Chase Hooper, we saw him at 18 years old on Dana White's Contender Series against a tough Hawaiian kid. And man, it was an ugly fight, and I'm glad they... Uh, Put him in the local scene after that, because if they would have put him in the UFC, he would have got completely uh, dominated. But now we see him, uh, even after that fight, man, he went to a draw with a 7-8 and eight guy on the local scene. Uh, but then he got a win over Luis Gomez, who who did beat Sadiq Yusuf. So. In the first yeah. round. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so that's his, uh, he's got one solid win. Kid's definitely still developing. Daniel Tamer, on the other hand, we know his brother's really good. His brother beat Jakar and beat Nick Lentz and... Uh, some in Lando Venata and some other guys, but we know that his big brother is definitely not on that level. He's one in three. Definitely fought some tough competition, though. Guys that uh, Chase Hooper can't even breathe the air. Fish, Chris Fishgold, I mean, yeah, he's a little shaky in the UFC, but he's like 18 and, you know, three. Uh, Julio Arce is a, a legit fighter. And Danny Henry, who who tapped out Hakeem Duwato in, in less than 30 seconds. So uh, I think that Daniel Tamer's definitely fought some 
probably fought tougher competition, but the thing is you can't trust a guy like Tamor because he he just does stupid shit from time to time, aka going for leg locks against Chris Fishgold when he has a uh, has him hurt. But the one common thing in all of his fights is except the Julio Arce fight, is that he did put Fishgold and Danny Henry uh, in some, you know, tough situations on the feet. He definitely cracked both of them. He definitely wobbled them. And Chase Hooper's definitely hittable. The thing is, if this fight is the mat, ain't no telling what Daniel Tamer's going to do. He's he's probably going to do something stupid and, and end up getting tapped out. But Chase Hooper is definitely getting better. But a, a few months back, he did go to draw with the 7-8 and eight guy. I, I got to go with Chase Hooper. I think that he's going to probably look better. Kid's probably putting on more size, becoming more of a man. Uh, but if I'm not convinced that uh, he's going to eat Tamor's uh, right hand early on in that fight. And Tamor, like I said, has had success against a, a lot of guys on the feet. So uh, I'll take uh, Chase Hooper, but I, I think this is a, it's a straight pass fight betting-wise like on both sides. Hey, guys. It's not David Tamor. It's the shitty Tamor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Tamor should honestly be like 6-4 and because one of his wins against Amir Yumbi, uh on the local scene, I mean, he got knocked out and Florida ref stopped the fight. But then I guess the Tamor brothers got some type of pool down there in Sweden. And they, uh, they you know, reversed it and let the kid the kid uh, get some minutes. So. Ref waves the fight off and Daniel Tamor's like, what the fuck, man? So then ref's like, just kidding, keep fighting, keep fighting. Keep fighting. Go ahead, go ahead. The guy that was already celebrating on the cage, they had to pull him back down. Then he gets submitted. It was Remember Fabio Maldonado versus Fedor when uh, – <laughs> The ref, like, completely saved Fedor. And, uh, <laughs> Remember when the ref gave Fedor a timeout in the Mal- Maldonado fight? Are you, okay? <laughs> Are you okay, Fedor? You take a breather? All right, keep fighting, keep fighting. No one saw, right? So, yeah, look, as far as his matchup is concerned, I fucking love it, man, because on paper it is striker versus grappler, and this kid, Chase Hooper, uh, what he brings to the table. Look, if you just watched his contender series fight, you might be asking yourself, why is he in the UFC? But what you really need to understand is that, what, he was 18 years old in that fight or something, Shaq? Now he's about 21, so I know three years, uh, two years, this whole thing doesn't seem like a lot, but with a kid that age, oh, he's only 20? So two years doesn't really seem like a lot, but for a kid that age, it's a fucking hell of a lot because when you're uh, developing into becoming a man, every single year counts for a lot. Every single year he makes more leaps and bounds, not just in his skill set, but in his maturity. I mean, the guy's filling out his frame. You watch that fight on Contender Series, and then you watch his fight against Luis Gomez, it's not even the same guy. So what I like about Hooper a lot is obviously his jiu-jitsu. A very confident brown belt, and what's most impressive about him is how flexible this kid is. He's very long for the weight class, but when he gets on the mat, and I'm talking about off his back, not just when he's on top. When he's on top, he dominates these guys. But look, the kid is six foot one at featherweight. He's got a 75-inch reach. And when he's on the bottom, he starts twisting in ways that you've never seen before. Starts sweeping guys. And when he gets on top, he's got vicious ground and pound. He can set up his submissions. If you see that fight against Luis Gomez, Luis Gomez is a very tough guy. Luis Gomez is a guy that fought Dan Ige on Contender Series. Luis Gomez is a former Titan FC World Champion. Luis Gomez is a guy that finished Sodiq Yusuf in the first round. And Chase Hooper went out there and mopped the floor with him in a way where they had to take him off the developmental uh, deal and they put him right into the UFC. They're like, okay, this kid's ready for prime time. He's ready for the big show. Now let's bring him one. Let's bring him a hand-picked opponent and see how he deals with it. Now the thing with Daniel Tamor is he definitely throws heat 
in that first round. And uh, if you're not quite up to par, if you are if you go out there and you pull a Sungbin Joe, then he might go out there and beat you. But I think this kid Hooper only needs one good back tick, one good takedown pass to mount, and the fight will be over shortly after. So while I think that Daniel Tamor might go out there and tee off on him early, He's got to finish Hooper to win this fight. If he doesn't finish Hooper, he will be finished himself. I'm going Chase Hooper to win this fight inside the distance, either by ground and pound TKO or by submission. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Matt Brown. He's 21 and 16, and Ben Saunders is 22 and 12. Currently, they got Matt Brown minus 345. The comeback on Ben Saunders is plus 285. Well, Shaq, I know Ben Saunders gets knocked out every single fight, but would you uh, recommend laying? Minus three forty-five on a guy that retired two years ago. Yeah, this is a it's a great fight. Uh, ben Saunders, we know his chin is completely shot. Uh, it's been taking KOLs on the reg. Does have a, a a finish win over Jake Ellenberger, the guy that beat Matt Brown in the mix in between there. So you can't forget about that. And like you said, Matt, uh, Matt ain't been looking good too lately. I mean, let's just be honest here. I mean, let's not forget his old days, the old Matt Brown, where he was kind of under 500 there for a stretch, but then uh, seemed to revive his career. But maybe he uh, resorted back to his old jobber ways. I mean, uh, <laughs> definitely beat Tim Means, but I think he's, what, 2-5 and five in his last seven? Uh, fought some of the top competition out there. Ben Saunders... <sighs> Also two and five in his last seven. Also two and five in his last seven. So you can't really think these guys are too far apart. Obviously, Ben can't take much of a punch. It's only going to... But Ben still has heart, man. Ben still will throw. I mean, Ben kicks hard. And what has Matt Brown's weakness always been? He's got a soft, soft, soft body there. And uh, he's been hurt to the body. I mean, I can count, I mean, a bunch of times, man. So... I think that Ben Saunders does have a path to victory if he can somehow get mad in a plum and just stay conscious enough, long enough for him to get a knee off. Because, uh, I mean, Jake Ellenberger put him down with one single body kick. I mean, he's just been hurt to the body several times. Eric Silva almost finished him, but I don't know if he's going to be able to come back. Uh, I got to pick Matt Brown. I, I lean, but I think, it, I don't want to say it's a dog or pass situation, but I just would not, like, play Matt Brown. You don't know what this guy's been up to. Ben Saunders has been a little bit uh, more relevant. At least he's been fighting, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, but I'll take Matt Brown, but I would not be shocked if Ben Saunders knocked him, knocked him out in the first round but with body shots. Yeah, look, I'm a big fan of both these guys, especially back in the day. Matt Brown used to be one of the most exciting fighters in the UFC in the welterweight division. But he's coming off a two-year layoff where he retired his last fight. Matt and Brown's 21 and 16. Look, one guy gets knocked out every single fight, Ben Saunders, and the other guy uh, has an extremely weak body. And I know Matt Brown doesn't like to hear that, but, I mean, I don't give a fuck what Matt Brown likes to hear. The guy called me out because I said the Aspen lad, uh, Jermaine Durandamy stoppage was perfectly justified because uh, we all know that if uh, they didn't stop it, Aspen would have eaten three or four punches and been unconscious, so thank God the ref stopped it uh, when, when they did. But uh, that being said, uh, I mean... see Aspen Land get killed on... That being said, uh, I mean, look, is it going to be Ben Saunders via body kick or knee, or is it going to be Matt Brown via KO? I don't know. I mean, I certainly ain't laying minus 345 to find out. If you take a one-unit shot on Ben Saunders, I don't blame you, because all he's got to do is kick him in the body one time or knee him. But it's like, at the same time, don't get your chin touch, Ben. Uh, so who knows what's going to happen. I just think that in their primes, Matt Brown was the much better fighter. And they're not in their primes anymore, so who knows if that holds any weight. But 
the best version the best version of both guys, I take Matt Brown via first-round knockout. So we'll see how it actually plays out on Saturday night. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got Ian Hines. She's 13-2, and two, and Omari Akhmedov is 19-4. and four. Currently, they got Ian Heinish minus 140. The comeback on Omari Akhmedov is plus 120. Well, Ian Heinish definitely has a tendency to go out there and capitalize on Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts that can't put him away in that first round. And you start to gas out on a guy like Ian Heinish, and he will start to put that pressure on you. But that being said, Omari Akhmedov, since he's moved up to middleweight, he's undefeated. He's the more experienced guy here. Which way are you going? This is a great matchup. Ian Heinish coming off his first loss against Derek Brunson. Uh, kind of showed the holes in his takedown defense. Once again, he got taken down. He's been taken down in every all three of his UFC fights multiple times. Um, kid definitely comes has uh, fights with a lot of heart. Uh, good footwork early, but as the fight progresses on, he kind of does have the tendency to slow down, but I think, uh, to be honest, he kind of got rushed into the top 15 a little bit. I think he was a, been a I don't want to say a beneficiary because I, I bet on him against Carlos Jr., but I mean, you guys have already heard what I have what I've, uh, think about Carlos Jr. for a long time now. I think the guy's severely overrated. I think he's a one-trick pony, and I think Heinish was just a, a guy that capitalized and proved that, just like uh, Uriah Hall, but I don't uh, think that Ian Heinish necessarily had has the all the experience to to be a valid top one uh top 15 185 Cesar Ferreira is on the tail end of his career um and Carlos Jr I don't think top 15 so uh when he fought Brunson he landed that big head kick early but after that man he got severely outclassed I mean Brunson dominated that fight Brunson put on a clinic uh now he's fighting Omari Akhmedov. Omari Akhmedov has kind of been a at 170 he was real spotty you know took KO losses to Sergino Marais uh Lost to Elijah Zaleski Dos Santos, kind of all in similar fashions and points where in the third round he he just looked really gassed and he would get finished with strikes and then he'd get knocked out and, and then he moved up to 185s. But at 170 he also had some glimpses of, of good performances, man. He, that Kyle Noak victory in which he uh, dominated him in the Razak Alassane fight and even in the Elijah fight that was fighting the night, man. He showed uh, some good skills. I mean, dude's got talent. Dude's got a blast double. Dude's strong. He can kickbox. Uh, then he moves up to 85, fights Marvin Vittori, who I'm really high on. I think Marvin Vittori's got a bright future. I think Marvin Vittori's headed towards the rankings. And uh, they went to a draw. Omar looked really good coming up a, a weight class. A lot of power. Not, I'm not convinced that Ian Heinish has ever been in a, in a fight like that where he's had to take concussive blows and keep going. I feel like uh, Ian Heinish has been in some grappling-ish type of dog fights, but I don't think he's been in a... Uh, tussled with a Russian and really gone uh, toe-to-toe with big heavy guys that are willing to eat his shots mix it up with the wrestling I think Omari's added a lot more tools in his game I think he's progressively fighting a little smarter I think Omari's got a lot of advantages in this in this fight I think uh, the angle of Ian being the the guy that could capitalize maybe in the late rounds I'm not gonna disagree with it but I don't think it's to the extent that people are making it I think there's a chance where Omari can come out here and just completely uh, nullify him with the grappling tie him up land the harder shots I think he's got more firepower uh, I'm going to go with Omari Akhmedov. I think that he's going to stamp his top 15 ranking here. The guy's been looking better fight to fight. Definitely still, you know, a, a little chinny, but I just don't think Ian Heinish is the guy to capitalize on that. I think truly that he capitalized on two jiu-jitsu black belts that don't have a lot of heart. And then, uh... 
and then he got exposed against Brunson. So I'm going to go with Amari Ekmedov. I definitely think that Ian Heinish got rushed into that top 15 for sure because when you saw that fight against Brunson, uh, I mean, Derek Brunson went out there and gave Ian Heinish a tour of the octagon, and there's no other way to put it, man. Uh, Heinish looked lost out there, and Brunson's the guy we always criticize for running with his chin straight in the air and you know flailing all over the place. And uh, that dude uh, showed uh, Ian Heinish what it really means to be a UFC veteran. And interestingly enough, Omar Yachmedov might do the same thing because when you talk about these fights that Ian Heinish has been winning, and look, I picked him in his first three UFC fights. I picked him against Ferreira, p- uh, bet him against Antonio Carlos Jr., but the thing with those fights is those guys don't have wrestling backgrounds. And uh, the one time that Heinish fought a wrestler, you, you saw what happened, guys. Uh, don't act like you don't remember what happened when he fought Brunson, because I remember. Uh, and here with Omari Ahmedov, here, here's my biggest question, because I know Omari's been criticized for his cardio in the past, but I feel like Heinish cardio isn't necessarily... You know, this uh, this marathon runner like everyone's trying to make him out to be because I've noticed that guy gassing out too. It's just he had more of a will to win than a guy like Antonio Carlos Jr. He had more heart than a guy like Cesar Mutanchi Ferreira, but I'm not exactly convinced that he can just will himself to victory against a guy like Omari Akhmedov. And what I'm most curious about in this fight is when Ian Heinish is trying to push that pace on Omari Akhmedov, is he going to carelessly go in there and slug some big bombs? Is he going to not have too much respect for the power of Akhmedov? Or is Omari's firepower going to be one of those things where it makes Ian Heinish have to slow down and fight that kind of slow-paced Russian coast-type fight that Omari Akhmedov does? Because if that's the case, Omari's going to come out here and do exactly what he wants. And when he wants to blast double him, he will blast double him. When it's time to throw big bombs, it's time to throw big bombs. So... I'm very intrigued to see. This is going to let me know exactly how good Ian Heinish really is because if you're good enough to beat Ahmedov, then maybe you are ready for the top 15 right now. So I can't wait to find out. I've been more impressed with Ahmedov at middleweight thus far. So we'll see exactly what happens. I think it's a close fight. So I'm going to lean with the dog. But uh, we're going to tune in Saturday night and find out exactly uh, where these two middleweights stand. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Ketlin Vieira. She's 10-0. And Irene Aldana is 11 and 5. Currently, they got Ketlin Vieira minus 175. The comeback on Irene Aldana is plus 155. Well, Shaq, uh, you got Brazil versus Mexico. It's going to be one hell of a matchup. We haven't seen Ketlin Vieira in a while. I know everybody remembers that max bet we cashed against uh, Kat Zingano at very close odds. Since that point, she had a couple surgeries, but. Uh, very talented nonetheless. Irene Aldana has been putting in work. Who you got? This is a great fight. Kellen Vieira, undefeated, 10-0. Uh, exposed fraud McMahon back in the day. I know you remember that one <laughs> with the submission. Guys, whenever Sarah McMahon fights, <laughs> just pick her opponent by second-round submission. <laughs> just fade McMahon. Uh, but anyways, uh, Irene Aldana has been fighting very, very frequently. So she, uh, Kellen's coming off a layoff. So I guess Irene has a advantage in that aspect. But... Uh, Arena, I think she's a good fighter, good hands, maybe even a little bit of a speed advantage in this matchup against Ketlin, you know, who's more of a stalker, uh, kind of like Andrade type, but a little more controlled. And she's actually got judo and some really nifty little grappling uh, techniques with those judo trips and, and, and things of that nature. So, and Aldana, I don't want to say that she's overrated or underrated. I just think that she's just, uh, a, a ga- not a gatekeeper, but just, uh, 
a solid top, you know, 10, 11 chick. I think that Aldana struggles at times when she gets she gets pushed back a lot. In fights against uh, Pudalova, which was a war, she got pushed back a lot. I mean, that fight could have went either way. Then she fought Betch Carrera, who was really slow, missed weight by six pounds. And, you know, just put on a solid performance. She was able to get the finish, but I just don't see things like that happening uh, to someone like Kellen Vieira. Um, then her fight against Raquel Pennington, the fight where, you know, everyone thought Aldana was finally going to get over that hump and enter the top five, the top six picture. Uh, and the fight, I mean, look, it was a little, adjust I mean, it's a little adjustments that she can make to, to eke out a win like that. But the thing is, all three rounds were very close. I thought Pennington won uh, the second and third clearly, but in those fights, we thought Irina was going to have a, a significant boxing advantage, and Raquel Pennington was the one that was landing harder shots, and Irina just seemed a little step behind, and she gave up that takedown in the third round, went for a leg lock, and, and just lost the fight. I mean, look, I think Kellen Vieira is just better everywhere. I think she's got more power on the feet. I think that she's going to close the distance very carefully, uh, tie her up when she wants to. And if this fight hits the mat, I'm not 100% convinced that uh, Irina is going to get back up. I know she's uh, good on the mat, but Kellen tapped out Sarah McMahon with that uh, arm triangle. And then that last fight against Katz and Gano, man, she had some nice trips, got in full mount, was uh, landing some good ground and pound. Ketlin's issue is the typical uh, Nova issue, you know, the, the in the third round, you know, from time to time, she'll, she'll, uh, but it's usually because she's up by so wide of a margin that, like, Pettineris and them tell her, just, you know, just chill out this round, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're up two rounds, just chill out, uh... I'm interested to see what happens, but I got to go with Kellen Vieira. I think she's more talented, more ferocious, bigger, better skills on the mat, uh, more power, and I think she's going to get this one by 30-27, so I'll go with Kellen Vieira. Yeah, it's so good to see Kellen Vieira back inside the octagon, and this is the perfect fight for her to come back in there and you know get her feet wet after two years off and let everybody know that, hey, I am a, a serious, legit contender in the top 10 of this division, and... When you talk about Irena Aldana, I'm a fan. She's very exciting to watch. I like her output a lot, but I'll tell you what I don't like, Shaq, and what I think uh, is going to be or what has been her biggest issue and what will continue to be is that she is way too hittable. You know, it's amazing when you see that she lands over six strikes per minute, but guess how many she eats, Shaq? She eats six strikes per minute as well, so it's one of those things where, yeah, she's going to be out there throwing, but the thing is she's going to be out there getting hit as well. And when you talk about the power that Ketlin Vieira brings to the table, just look at Ashley Evans-Smith's face in that fight. Uh, she had no idea what hit her, and I have a feeling that the pretty face of Irene Aldana might be compromised in this bout as well, man. I think her nose is going to get bloody. I think she's going to eat some big shots. I think the judo trips of Ketlin Vieira are going to play a factor, and Shaq brought up a good point. Will she get back up from bottom? I'm not entirely sure. She didn't get back up from bottom against Ra uh, Raquel Pennington, and here against this serious judo player with a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, uh, it might be kind of tough to get back up too, Shaq, so I think that Kellen Vieira's got her covered in all areas, and I actually think Kellen Vieira should be a bigger favorite in this spot, so I'm going with Kellen Vieira here to dominate Irena Aldana. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Platinum Mike Perry. He's 13-5. and and Jeff Hands of Steel Neal is 12 and 2. Currently, they got Jeff Neal minus 250. The comeback on Mike Perry is plus 210. Well, Shaq, you know, Mike Perry's at that point of his career now where potential top 10 guys get to get tested against uh, Mike Perry. So 
is Jeff Neal a, a future top 10 guy or not? Yeah, this is a big fight for Perry. I mean, I, I don't want to say, I don't think his job's on the line. I'm not talking anything like that. But I just, in the career trajectory, I really think he needs to win this fight. I mean, he's on the verge of going 6-6. Six and six, And, you know, he likes to talk trash with a lot of big names. But the more your record 6-6, 6-6, six and 6-7, six, six and 7-7, six and, six and, seven and, seven and seven, you know, it's just going to be more amusable. So I think that Perry uh, has to win this fight against Jeff Neal. And I'll tell you what, Jeff Neal, I've, I've been really high on Jeff Neal since Contender Series. Uh, picked him to win all his fights. Um, really impressed with his last two wins against Bilal Muhammad and, and Nico Price. Uh, his two legit names, Frank Camacho and uh, Chris Camozzi. Cam uh, Brian, Brian Camozzi. You know, those are low-level competition. So uh, these last two wins definitely put some stamp. But to be honest, even with Mike Perry's six and five record, um, I think he's honestly more of a threat than both those guys. You know, I think that Bilal Muhammad is a lot smaller. Uh, likes to use a head movement, and it's kind of going to be really tough to use that style against a, a fast guy like Jeff. With and he's kind of fine with his hands down. And Nico Price, I'll tell you what. What after watching that fight a couple more times, I don't want to say Jeff Neal's overrated, but I'm just not a hundred percent sure, or even eighty percent sure that he's ready to. To I think this is fight's just going to be a lot more intense now. The reason why I bring that up is because Nico Price definitely tested him. I mean, the headbutt knockdown. But then what about uh, when Nico Price started charging at him in that second round? And Jeff did, definitely did a chicken dance. His leg definitely wobbled. Uh, but Nico Price decided to go for a guillotine, you know. And he, Jeff Neal was a lot much more stronger than Nico Price on the mat. I don't know if he's going to be able to do that against a guy like Mike Perry, go to that grappling aspect in his game. Maybe he does. I think he's going to have to play this very safe and throw that one-two and just keep it very disciplined. I'm not 100% sure he's got a chin to take those type of shots. So I do think there is a little bit of value on Perry betting-wise, but Perry is also a guy who I kind of compare to Jeremy Stevens. The game plan... It, I don't want to say it's easy, but you know that this guy is very reckless. You know that he he takes a lot of damage in his fights. He can get very sloppy at times. I mean, he lost to Max Griffin, guys. <laughs> I mean, what I'm getting at is at times he can uh, just make catastrophic type of mistakes but i will tell you what i think his last fight against vicente luque was the best he ever looked i think he's got a lot of power and i think that this could possibly be a spot where he could he could sneak up on a guy like jeff neal just due to the fact that i'm not 100 percent sure that jeff neal's uh ready to go on this level so i will take jeff neal i think he's the fighter with the higher ceiling i think he can touch mike perry with his straight left if he keeps it disciplined but from a betting perspective i think the line's a little bit too steep to test that out and i think from a betting perspective it's mike perry or pass but i'll take jeff neal for a close decision one i love that comparison of mike perry to jeremy stevens because it's so true because with mike perry you know exactly what he's going to bring to the table and it's up to you to be able to stop it because he's not going to come out here and, you know, hump your leg for 15 straight minutes. He's not going to pull guard. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to come out with some sidekick to the leg type game or, you know, start establishing his jab. Mike Perry is going to go out there and try to swing big bungalows and try to knock you the fuck out. And that's why everyone enjoys watching him fight so much. That's why he can have a 500 record for the rest of his career and still stay inside the UFC's octagon. Because every single time this guy fights, he brings it. Now, a lot of people are acting like he got robbed against Vicente Luque. Uh, no, he didn't. Uh, Vicente Luque clearly won that fight. Was it a good effort by Mike Perry? No doubt about it. The guy is exciting every single time he fights, win, lose, or draw. But to sit here and actually act like he won that fight, I mean, guys, his nose got smashed in a way where I don't even know if it's ever going to be the same. And uh, 
Speaking of which, it hasn't been that long since his last fight. I wonder uh, how the recovery's been because Jeff Neal starts getting off on that straight left down the pipe and he breaks that nose again. Not that Mike Perry's going to, you know, quiver or shy away or anything like that, but it's going to it's gonna get easier to inflict that kind of damage. And in a close fight, you know, the judges are looking at whose face is all bloody. And not to mention, I think that Jeff Neal has more output. He's the faster guy. It's just about there might be a chance that Jeff Neal has a little bit of a suspect chin, and we want to find out firsthand. Test him against a knockout artist. All right, here's Mike Perry. So we're going to find out firsthand what the deal is. Mike Perry has a 500 history against Southpaws, lost to Juban, beat Danny Hot Chocolate. Now he's now let's see if third time's the charm or not. So it's going to be interesting. I have to lean with, with Jeff Neal just because the blueprint's been laid out on how to beat Mike Perry. And I know Safe Sayud's in this guy's ear letting him know, dude, don't, don't do anything stupid. Just go out here and pick this guy apart, win this decision. So if it's an, if there's a knockout, I think it's actually going to be on Perry's side. But uh, I see it going all three. I'm going Jeff Neal via decision. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Piotr Yan. He's 13-1 and and Uriah Faber is 35-10. and Currently, they got Piotr Yan, minus 500. The comeback on Uriah Faber is plus 400. Well, Shaq, how interesting is it that Ricky Simone actually competed more recently than Uriah Faber after uh, that starching? Hey, man. Shout out to Ricky. You got fight of the night. He put on a great fight. Uh, yeah, now with that 50K bonus, why don't you pay back every single person that <laughs> lost on you against Faber? So so who you got in this matchup? Yeah, this is a great fight. Peter Yan. Uh, I like his performance against Jimmy Rivera. I've been high on Peter Yan uh, since the De Silva fight, man, when he left De Silva in a pool of blood to the point where he couldn't continue. I was like, man, this guy, uh, his pace and his pressure is some serious Faber. Uh, look, I respect Faber. He's a legend, but Ricky Simon is is nowhere near the competitor. Uh, Peter Yan. Peter Yan's a lot faster, just a lot more meaner. Peter Yan gets real vicious when he's moving forward with that pressure, his kicks, his punches. At times, he can get a little reckless. You know, he will take a a big punch from time to time, but you gotta expect that when you fight with that much pressure, like a, a Justin Gaethje, for example. I mean, you're gonna take a, a shot in turn, but I think he can eat it. I think he can overwhelm Faber uh, with his pace. Ricky Simon was too reckless, too slow, not as good as a boxer. As Peter too Yen. overconfident. Too overconfident. Peter Yan, this guy's from Siberia. <laughs> you know, this guy takes you know baths under uh, in ice water. So I I got Peter in by vicious tko uh probably somewhere early in the second round i think faber's a legend but i think he bit more than he can chew well let's uh let's try this again you know what i'm saying uh he's coming off a three-year layoff now granted he did have one fight uh, in between there with ricky simone who ricky simon. turned out to be a complete fraud and i mean let's try this again for real because uh i don't think you can come off a three-year layoff and go out there and compete with these top 10 guys uh really top five if you want to be honest with it uh, i love the california kid i remember in high school watching him in the wec back when he was featherweight champ i mean i can sit here and give him his tribute all day long love the guy amazing fighter well-rounded the whole bit but this is the new generation of fighter i don't think that peo torian is as chinny as ricky simone i don't think he's as overconfident i think he's actually gonna go out there and get the job done in a justin gaethje uh, style uh fashion you know break him down with the leg kicks when it's time to throw that big left hook he's gonna throw it and it's all about not getting caught with one shot not diving headfirst into a guillotine i think if he avoids those things he goes out there and repeats the blueprint that 
all these guys have shown us throughout the years, whether it's Mikey Brown, whether it's Hennon Burrell, Jose Aldo, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, I, I got Piotr Yan to finish the California kid Uriah Faber here, and I think that his minus 500 price tag is warranted. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Marlon Moraes. He's 22-6, and six, and Jose Aldo Jr. is 28-5. and five. Currently, they got Marlon Moraes minus 225. The comeback on Jose Aldo is plus 185. Well, Shaq, I mean, the whole... Talking point here is: Is he gonna make weight? Is he not gonna make weight? This I don't I don't give a fuck if he makes weight. What I care about is how, how is he gonna perform on Saturday he's night. Fighting. I mean, he's gonna fight regardless whether he make, makes the weight or not. So uh, Jose Aldo, legend of the sport, kind of I don't want to give him like a favor treatment because he's been fighting a lot more recently. Knocked out Moicano, knocked out Jeremy Stevens, uh, but his last fight against Alexander Volkanovski, yeah, look, he couldn't pull the trigger, and that was due to Alexander Volkanovski just being a really good fighter and Alexander Volkanovski having really good fans and now he's fighting Marais. I think this is also a similar situation like what I said about guys like Jacare, what I said about guys like Weidman. They're getting desperate and now they start to think, oh, maybe if I change a weight class, uh, things are going to change. And I think that Jose is just... Uh, I don't want to say his ego is getting the best of him, but I just think he, he's desperate. He's looking for answers. I think what the, what he should do is stay at 45s and just let's start fighting prospects. You know what I'm saying? Let's fight the uh, the Burgoses of the world and the Arnold Allens and the, the Emmets of the world. But uh, he wants to drop to 35. I think he's severely depleting himself. I think the guy looks sick. Marlon Marais. Although uh, in the past, uh, I actually faded Marlon Marais against Henry Cejudo his last fight. You know, Marlon Marais was on a roll. He was putting dudes out in less than uh, 20, 30 seconds. I did say, historically speaking, that if you can get Marlon Marais outside the first round, that he kind of has the tendency to be a little lackluster, maybe a little slow. But the thing is, he's about to be going up against an old, slow Brazilian. And you already know what happens at 45 when Aldo uh, is out outmatched in the second and third rounds when he starts looking tired. What do you think is going to happen at 135 when he starts looking outmatched and tired? Uh, it's probably going to be a little worse. I think Marlon honestly can, if this fight does get extended, I think he can coast as well. I think Jose is fighting a younger version of himself. Uh, I think Henry Cejudo honestly is one of the greats. I don't shame Marlon Marais for that loss at all. I think Henry Cejudo... They don't call him Triple C for no reason. I mean, the guy's a, a champ champ, one of the best to ever do it. And I think uh, Henry Cejudo has a way better pace than Jose Aldo, better skills than Jose Aldo at this point in their career. So I'm going to go with Marlon Marais. I'm going to say first round KO by by quote-unquote early stoppage. I think Jose is going to be crying early stoppage on, on Saturday night. I think he's going to get hit with something, probably a sharp head kick and just maybe go limp. He's cutting too much weight. I think he's desperate. I got Marlon Marais. Yeah, look, the biggest question is why is Jose Aldo dropping 135 pounds? I'll tell you why. It's because, first of all, he definitely ain't touching gold at 145 ever again. He already lost to the champ twice, already lost to the number one contender, Volkanovski. So that's out the question. And then the whole talk back in the day about him moving up to 55s. Well, guess what? Pettis ain't the champ no more. So you put you put Jose Aldo there at 155 pounds, and non-top 15 guys are going to mop the floor with him. So that's out the question. And then it was like, well, why don't we just take easier fights at, at featherweight? And, you know, Jose's got too much pride for all of that. You know he's not about to start taking – you know he's not about to start fighting. I say easier fight. You're not, gonna, you're not about to start fighting uh, Calvin Cater. You know what I'm saying? So – 
So now let's try Bantamweight, and, uh, you know, you don't get to fight, uh, you know, Eddie Wineland. You, you know, can fight Cub Swanson? You, you, yeah, exactly. You should have fought. <laughs> do the Cub Swanson rematch, but, uh, you know, and instead, not dropping a Bantamweight, you don't get the Eddie Wineland fight. You don't get to fight Hanayaya. <laughs> Here's Marlon Marais uh, in a pay-per-view uh, in the featured bout. So, uh yeah, look, man, uh, obviously Jose is a legend of the sport. I actually think he's a better fighter than Marlon Marais. It's just that I don't think he's a better fighter when he's killing himself the night before. And when I say killing himself, he was already killing himself to make featherweight. Now it's like I mean, he's going to cut his leg off here. It ain't even about making the weight. It's about how he performs the next day. I mean, take a Haniyaya fight or an Eddie Wyland fight or a Ricky Simone fight to see how you perform the next day. Don't 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 fight, go in there fight, with Marlon Moraes. Fight Cody Stamen, fight Song Yadong. So uh, I think it's going to be one head kick behind the ear, and uh, the fight will be over shortly after. If this goes the distance, I think Marlon's going to win as well. So I'm going Marlon Moraes to defeat the great Jose Aldo, the former champion and future Hall of Famer. Now, next up for the Bantamweight title, we got Amanda the Lioness Nunes. She's 18-4, and four, and Jermaine Durandami is 9-3. and three. Currently, they got Amanda Nunes minus 310. The comeback on Jermaine Durandami is plus 255. Well, Shaq, uh, they met once before. Amanda Nunes stopped Jermaine Durandami in the first round. One takedown. The fight was over shortly after. Since that point, Amanda Nunes went on to become the champ champ. Jermaine Durandami went on to touch featherweight gold. Uh, who do you think gets it done here in the Bantamweight title fight? Yeah, Amanda Nunes, like I said, is the GOAT. Clearly knocked out Chris Cyborg, who I thought was the GOAT uh, at the time when they fought. So Amanda Nunes is a serious competitor, Jermaine Duranemi. Some people think she's got a stand-up advantage in this fight. She definitely got some knockout power. Definitely 48-0 in Muay Thai. Uh, I mean, she's definitely probably the more credential striker. Um, but man, you got to think Amanda Nunes is just too dynamic. I mean, she has the threat of the stand-up mixed in with the grappling. Uh, Jermaine Duranemi is a great fighter, but I just think she's going to be overmatched in every area. I think Nunes is just too ferocious, too good. <laughs> I just don't see how she gets out this uh, five rounds unless she lands a lucky punch. But uh, I, I'm going to go with Amanda Nunes by second round TKO. Obviously, one hell of a rematch the first time. So dominant for Amanda Nunes. And since that point, Amanda Nunes has been going out there and making history. All the amount of champions and former champions she has under her resume and just the well-rounded skill set she brings to the table. Obviously, earlier on in her career, she was more known for that jiu-jitsu black belt. But, man, she's really evolved her striking. Now she's going out there knocking ladies out in the first round. So it's really uh, – there's no safe place in the fight against Amanda Nunes. And when you talk about Jermaine Duran and me, the technique in her striking is very, very on point. One of the best uh, in women's uh, MMA history. So you have to give Jermaine Duran and me a lot of credit. My biggest question is, what happens if this hits the mat? The first time they fought, it did hit the mat. It was over shortly after. Since that point, Jermaine Durandamy has definitely developed her skills. And she's gone out there, and I, I got a lot of faith in uh, her takedown defense. I think it's very, very good. I think that against the fence specifically is where she really thrives. And I do think against you know these girls like Holly Holm and Raquel Pennington that it's really held up nicely and it really shows the improvement she's made she even made comments about how her favorite day of the week is no gi day so you know I got a lot of respect for Jermaine around me the thing is that Amanda Nunes is not Holly Holm or Raquel Pennington I do think that when Amanda Nunes gets this to the mat 
Similar to the first time, it might be over shortly after again because although Jermaine Duranamy has this amazing takedown defense, we don't really know what her submission defense is like. We don't know what happens beyond the takedown defense. Let's say she gets taken down, then what? We don't really need to watch fights with Anna Elmos for reference. You understand what I'm saying, Shaq? Uh, this is a whole nother ball game. So while there is a chance that Jermaine Durandamy, you know, gets gets off on some strikes early, maybe picks her apart a little bit. I don't just think that Amanda Nunes' only path to victory is on the mat. I think Amanda Nunes can go out there and beat her standing as well. I have a little suspicion that Jermaine Durandamy might be a little chinny. I know Holly Holm uh, almost made her go face first. And now we got a real knockout artist here in Amanda Nunes. And I think she will go face first. So I'm going to Amanda Nunes to win this fight inside the distance. Co-main event of the evening in the featherweight division. We got Max Blessed Holloway, he's 21-4, and, and Alexander the Great Volkanovsky is 20-1. Currently, they got Max Holloway minus 175. The comeback on Alexander Volkanovsky is plus 155. Well, Shaq, obviously you got one of the longest reigning featherweight champions in history, Max Holloway, taking on a very promising challenger and alex volkanovsky uh should be a hell of a fight while it lasts you think one guy's gonna dominate or you see this being a back and forth war yeah i see this being a, a back and forth war i think this has all the potential to be fight of the night holloway one of the best volume strikers the sport has ever seen this guy all he does is march down uh guys and overwhelm them with volume until the point where they can no longer take any more now when you really look at who that who that's against a guy that we mentioned earlier jose aldo on the tail end of his career although max did beat him in brazil so did volkanovsky um and brian ortega and frankie edgar so i think alexander volkanovsky already is a bigger threat than all those guys brian ortega was undefeated at the time but brian ortega is a guy that we know he takes a lot of punches man I mean, can't box kid can't box i mean i don't know <laughs> i mean just watch them just watch them two fight tell me who's the better boxer is but uh i think that alexander volkanovsky's last three fights he's definitely gained uh, a level each fight you know the Elkins fight he was a little sloppy but that was his first uh, opponent that was ranked then he fought Chad Mendez a former title challenger and that was a war you know it showed his resiliency he got dropped in that fight Chad Mendez those bombs I mean Chad Mendez might have the most knockdowns in, in featherweight history if I'm not mistaken uh Chad Mendez cracked him he got back up he even got taken down in that fight but he just kept moving forward he kept fanning on the outside and he eventually knocked him out and then against Jose Aldo in Brazil I mean he completely wiped Aldo out for three rounds didn't really eat any punches uh just outclassed them outmaneuvered them like it was nothing so i think this is holloway's biggest threat uh obviously i feel like max deserves to be favored i mean he's the champ he's the guy that has put away 13 featherweights in a row um i think that max is the greatest featherweight of all time but i do progressively see signs of a guy that i mean he look he's been fighting for a long time i mean he made his debut all the way back in 2012 when he was uh, like 20 years old against Dustin Poirier the first time. So I think that Max, although he's still young in age, in the fighting sense of it, he might be getting a little bit older. Uh, I'm not sure that now when you add in this cut back to featherweight uh, after the Dustin Poirier fight at 155 pounds in which we finally saw him get wobbled and hurt really badly on the feet for the first time in a long time. Uh, now that you mix in the 145-pound thing, is he going to be able to take a, a shot uh, the same way that he used to? Personally, I don't feel like Frankie Edgar was a good enough test to test that out. Frankie Edgar is on the tail end, tail end of his career. Uh, I, I, I love Frankie Edgar, but he's only got a couple more fights left in him. Alexander Volkanovsky is the biggest threat uh, at 145 pounds. Uh, uh, 
by a long shot in my opinion. I think that he presents a lot of problems just due to the fact that he knows what to do on the outside, you know. He actually has feints and fakes. Now the big question is, is he going to be able to to counteract that volume style of uh, Holloway? And he's going to have to counter that with his power. I mean, the guy hits like a truck. I think that Holloway is getting progressively more chinny. Obviously, we haven't seen Volkanovski's uh, chin tested throughout the duration of a five rounds. Maybe we've seen it in, in one round against Mendez, but I'm confident that the guy can take his shots, man. The guy used to weigh 200 pounds, a uh, former rugby player. I think Holloway's a great champion, but I think he's finally met his match here. I think that Alexander Volkanovski has the feints and fakes from the outside to, to get Max to do what he always does. He drops his jab hand off his jab. I think that Volkanovski has a, a, can land his overhand right or anything else, man. Uh, I think that he's just the best fighter that Max has fought at 145 pounds. And I'm going to take him for the upset. I think the odds are good. I think Holloway... When you look at his last opponents, I mean, I'm just not shocked that he did that. So maybe I was the first time when he initially did that, but what what have you done for me lately? It's only been Jose Aldo, Brian Ortega, who I think Alexander Volkanovsky's on a, a different caliber fighter than... I know Ortega's only got the one loss, and he's on the Bud Light commercial, and he's great, and this and that, but I truly think the kid was in trouble against Zombie coming up here, but, you know, now he's not in that fight. But uh, I'm going to go with Alexander Volkanovski in the upset. I think the fight ends inside the distance as well. Uh, I think that, you know, whoever wins the fight gets finished inside the distance. Yeah, that's one hell of a matchup. Obviously, Max Holloway, the greatest featherweight champion of all time. Uh think you know greater featherweight champion than the great jose aldo greater than uriah faber back in the wec so man uh and also you, you gotta remember my boy uh conor mcgregor who never defended the belt so but 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 went out there and beat max and jose and won another belt up weight class so so the debate about uh who's the best featherweight of all time is still definitely intact for me personally my vote is max holloway but uh this is an interesting matchup man because you know, you don't get to go out there and the fight's already won before it even started, like against Frankie Edgar. I mean, did any of you all, did any of y'all actually think Frankie was gonna win that fight? Like, come on, Frankie's man. live. Like, what? <laughs> Frankie's what? So, Frankie couldn't even got wiped out by Jose Aldo. Like Frankie didn't have a shot in that fight, and you know Ortega. I mean, you, you had my boy Big Marley. Holloway was his play of the year. I, I think that Ortega. We learned he's got no boxing. He can submit guys. He's got an unbelievable jujitsu, but if that doesn't happen, then it's over with. I think this kid, Volkanovski's got a very well-rounded skill set, and not saying that he's going to go out there and dethrone the great Max Holloway, but what I am saying is that this isn't just going to be some walk in the park where Max Holloway gets to point his finger down to the ground and you know be cute against Ricardo Lamas, who everybody's beaten, and we love Jose Aldo. We love all these guys like Frankie Edgar, but, but this is actually... This is his first time taking on one of the new-gen featherweights, and it's going to be interesting to see how he does. I know someone could say, well, what about Ortega? Like I said, Ortega doesn't have any boxing, so I don't really see what the big deal is there. Uh, so now, now I'm very intrigued to see what happens because this kid, Volkanovski, you've seen him go out there and outgrind grinders. You saw that Jeremy Kennedy fight where he didn't you know, keep the fight standing where he has a clear advantage. No, he took Jeremy Kennedy into his own area, got on top of the kid, and pounded him out. Then you see his fight against uh, Chad Mendez, and, you know, he didn't, you know, just uh, rely on the fact that he was the longer guy for once, you know, and pick the guy apart. No, he went out there and banged with one of the hardest bangers in the featherweight division's history. Then the next fight against uh, Jose Aldo, a guy with championship caliber, a guy who, you know, former champion, former future Hall of Famer, all these things, went out there and shut him down with those feints, 
then actually started point fighting against Jose Aldo. So what that tells me is that Alex Volkanovsky can grind you out. He can pound you out. He can go out there and stand and bang, but he can also play a point fighting game as you saw in the Jose Aldo fight. So Alex Volkanovsky is very well-rounded. He brings something serious to the table, not to mention the kid's a tank as well. So I do agree with you when you say that this is going to be Holloway's toughest test during his featherweight title reign. So that, that, uh, that makes it very interesting for me because when you go back and you look at the line between Max Holloway and Ortega, it was a pick em. And at one point, Ortega was even favored. Now, I think, I think this is such a tougher fight and it's such a wider line that it has me leaning towards the dog here. So while it won't surprise me if the great Max Holloway comes out and defends his belt, and we, we love the guy, we respect him, he's unbelievable, you start to slow down on a guy like Max Holloway and he will tee off on you. But the thing is, I don't really see this kid, Alex Volkanovsky, slowing down. And we know that big power can be a factor against Max Holloway, as you saw in that Dustin Poirier fight. And I'm not comparing Alex to Dustin. They're completely different fighters. But what I am going to say is that Alex hits extremely hard. He's very durable. He's well-rounded. And he's actually going to bring a real fight to Max Holloway. This isn't going to be like the Frankie Edgar fight where, you know what I mean, Max Holloway can play with his hands down, make facial expressions, you know, uh, po point to the crowd, clap, do all these things, you know, talk to Dana while he's fighting him. Talk to <laughs> You know, point to point the finger down like to his son in the crowd, then his son points the finger down and it's all cute, all these great moments. I really don't see that happening in this fight here against Volkanovski. I see this being a tooth and nail battle to to the brink, man, and uh, we're gonna see who we're gonna see who the real champ is. Uh, it's not gonna surprise me either way, but in a fight that I think is gonna be a nail biter, is gonna be a 50-50 fight. I got to go with these plus 155 odds. So I'm actually going to take uh, Alexander Volkanovsky to dethrone the great Max Holloway. And uh, I can't wait to see how it plays out. Main event in the evening for the welterweight title. We got Kamaru, the Nigerian nightmare, Usman. Or as Colby Covington likes to say, the Nigerian NyQuil. He's 15-1. and one, And Colby Covington is also 15-1. and one. Currently, they got Kamara Usman, minus 185. The comeback on Colby Covington is plus 160. Shaq, uh, one of the most high-level welterweight title fights we've seen since the George St. Pierre days. Who you got? Yeah, it's a great matchup. I mean, me and you kind of seen this matchup coming from a long time ago, man. Both these guys, with their wrestling backgrounds, I mean, they were dominating when they were on the, on the undercards and things like that, so... These guys were barely losing rounds, so it's good to see them make it to the top. It's, it's a great fight. Colby, obviously, probably the lighter, more efficient, you know, volume style. Uh, and Kamaru's more the stronger, uh, more powerful. Uh, both good wrestlers. Both like to use the cage. It's a matter of uh, can Kamaru break Colby's rhythm uh, of that pace with the big power shots and mix in his wrestling a little bit? Or or is uh, Kamaru not taking him uh, seriously uh like pretty much all of Kobe's other opponents, you know, he he's talking all this nonsense. He's he's doing all this other shit. They don't take him seriously enough. And then next thing you know, uh, he's doing the mat return on them like five times. And <laughs> now uh, now it's the fight's pretty much over at that point. So uh, I think that it's definitely hard to imagine Kamaru Usman getting taken down like over and over again. But what you can say that I 
what you can say is that Kobe Covenant striking is getting better fight to fight, and it's getting significantly better because when you look at the Damian Maya fight in which he got criticized for the way he was throwing his punches, you know, he attributed it to, he said that in Brazil, the mat was super slippery the, uh, the night that he fought Damian Maya. He said he had no type of footing, and he said that he, uh, that's why he looked so uh, shaky. Then he fought Dos Anjos, and, you know, he just keeps things really simple, keeps things really basic, uh, does a lot of kicks. But then in the Robbie Lawler fight, he was actually mixing in jabs. He was slipping. He was uh, throwing power shots. And he's got a new striking coach now. So I wouldn't be shocked if you start seeing Kobe Covington having more success on the feet these days. Usman stand-ups definitely come a long way. I remember when he first started, I mean, dude was a stiff dude. Uh, <laughs> could definitely take us straight. But he's got that big African power that is so hard to fight, man, because it's so hard to do anything to those guys. It's going to be a matter of... Uh, Kind of like similar to a Ngannou situation, you know, uh, let's like when Ngannou fought Stipe Miocic, you know, that's how uh, I could see a guy like Usman struggling. You know, I, I've actually heard that in their wrestling days, they're kind of facing, uh, they would kind of lose to similar styles to what they're fighting now. You know, I would hear Usman, whenever he lost, it would be because he got fatigued and he would get really tired. And I heard when Covington lost, it would be because he fought a dude that was too strong. So I love this matchup. I think that I can't really have a pick, man, because I feel like they're both super similar. I feel like Kobe throws more volume, but I've never seen him hurt with a punch. I think he's got a really good chin. And Usman as well, you know, I think that the guys that he's been fighting kind of were, I don't want to say remains of Kobe Covington, but look, <laughs> those, uh, Damian Maya, I well, I, I separate guys like Usman and, and Covington from the rest of the pack because I know what type of guys, how they fight. They just fight to win. They fight to win rounds. As whereas, uh, you know, Damian, as where like when Damian Maya's fighting Ben Askren and like fucking uh, and Lyman Good and, Mar and Rocco Martin, it's like you don't even, you know, think it's a, a similar fight. You know what I'm saying? So I think that... Uh, that what Kamaru did was pretty much the same thing that Covington did, just showed more power. Covington showed uh, a lighter, more efficient style. So I think this is a, I don't want to say a 50-50 fight, I guess. I understand why you would lean Kamaru. He's strong. He's undefeated in the UFC. He just beat the great Tyron Woodley, beat him down five rounds. But Covington's been out here beating guys down, like beating guys down, down, like 30, 25, 26 like legends of the sport, the same guys that Usman's beat. So I don't really necessarily see this big, wide advantage uh, between the two guys, unless you're, you know, getting emotional like most people do when Kobe Covington fights. I think it's a dog or pass situation from a betting perspective. But I, I slightly do lean Usman. I think, uh, you know, that he, he's just a little bit more strong and more powerful. But I do think he's not taking Covington as seriously as he should. I do think that progressively he's going to feel more pressure the closer this gets to the fight. So uh, I would not be shocked if Covington uh, melted him. <laughs> oh, your pick is Usman? Well, my pick is uh, Usman by... Uh, by uh, it's either going to be a guillotine or, uh, or a decision. It's an interesting fight, man. Uh, obviously, you got to give Kamaru a lot of credit for that Woodley performance. But one thing I got to say is that... Woodley was done. If Colby fought Woodley, it would have been the exact same thing. He'd put a pace on him where the guy uh, wouldn't even recover after 30 seconds. So, you know, because Woodley he likes to... You know, do nothing, do nothing, do nothing, then explode with a big right hand. But when you make the guy work over and over and over, then all of a sudden he's a completely different guy. And I, I truly believe with all my heart that Colby Covington would have done that to Woodley as well. But they didn't get to fight, so it is what it is. Now these two meet in the main event. And, uh, man, I cannot wait because obviously, like Shaq alluded to, Kamaru might be the stronger guy, but Colby's got the higher pace. 
such a hell of a fight between two high-level competitors and i know there's all the talk and all this bullshit but we don't got to get involved in all that you know none of that stuff really matters all that matters is the skill sets because they are very similar they are almost complementary and you guys already know the the cliche that you know every time you got two wrestlers in there it becomes a stand and bang fest and i could see that to an extent but i could also see each guy trying to implement the same game plan they've implemented over and over and over again against each other just almost like almost like a dick measuring contest think that colby Covington actually uh, pushes a higher pace and shaq mentioned back in those wrestling days kamaru when he would lose fights firstly kamaru is d2 Colby is D1. Not that matters. I'm just saying there are punches involved here, but I, I had to point that out. So Kamaru was known for gassing out when he lost matches, and when Colby lost matches, it was always against uh, stronger guys. So it's interesting that each guy's strength plays into the other one's weakness, so there's that going on. But, man, that cardio I've seen from Colby is so elite to a point where – I think he's going to come out here and win the UFC welterweight title, man. So I'm actually going with the very controversial Colby Covington to piss off most of the community and uh, cash a plus 160 dog bet here against the very tough Kamaru Usman. I'm not going to lie. None would make me more happier to see Colby Covington upset a bunch of uh, online people if he wins this belt. You know, but uh, Usman did take out a D1 wrestler his last fight. But like you said, man, Willie's been out in Hollywood. Willie low-key was going through some shit uh, behind the scenes. (laughs) Wink, wink. (laughs) That not a lot of people knew about. Willie let Hollywood get to him. Willie whines too much. Woodley's a snooze fest, uh, <laughs> but uh, I think that, uh, but yeah, he did beat a D1 wrestler in Woodley, and we've seen D2, D3 guys beat D1 guys, uh, Colby Covington's junior college teammate, the great John Jones, uh, beat uh, Olympian Daniel Cormier, even took him down a couple of times, man, so I'm interested to see what happens. Definitely, uh, again, if this was minus 110 a piece, I might be having a completely different breakdown, but yeah, when you see the on plus Covington. 160 next to a guy of Colby's caliber... Like, I get you don't like him. I get his political views are different than yours, but what the fuck does that have to do with a fist fight on a Saturday night inside a steel cage for our entertainment? It has nothing to do with it. So I got to go where the value is. I'm a betting man first. I'm going Colby Covington to be the new welterweight champion of the world. And then uh, we can get this fight with George Kraken and then, uh, you know. Get the pay-per-view <laughs> sales <Judas>. rolling. <laughs> Street Judas. Oh, man, it's too much. And now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself, Kyle. It's going down this Saturday. UFC 245, three title fights on the line. How's it going? Yeah, not too bad. Looking forward to this card. It's a good one. We got 50K to first place on DraftKings, so I love to see that. And I'm hoping to clean up. Well, let's get right down to business, Kyle, because main event of the evening. We've been waiting for this fight for years back when they were top prospects. Now it's uh, champ versus interim champ or former interim champ, even though he never officially lost. Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington. Both guys 15-1. and one. Both guys average over 100 points uh, per fight on DraftKings. But you got 7,300 for Covington, 8,900 for the champion Usman. Uh, what's, uh, wh- wh- which way are we going with this one? So, yeah, it's definitely a fight we're going to have to target in all of our lineups. It's a totally fine stack in cash type of fight. I think you can even stack this in tournaments as well. Uh, I'm going to go with Usman here. I just think – I don't think Covington can do the the pressure that we saw from him in his last two fights. He can't just walk forward throwing volume at Usman because he'll be put on his ass. He didn't have to worry about that in his last two fights. But here with Usman, you can't just walk forward without – 
without having to worry about not being taken down. So I think Usman's going to be the one walking Covington forward. I think Usman will put him on his ass multiple times in this fight. I just see him being the better MMA wrestler, the stronger guy. And if, if anyone's going to get a knockout here, I think it's going to be Usman as well. Um, I do think Covington's path is from winning a volume-based striking decision. I just don't think he's going to be able to throw anywhere near five, 600 strikes in this at all. So I wouldn't expect what we've seen from Covington in his last couple fights, but I do want some exposure to him. Uh, but I'm probably going to be mostly on Usman here. Um, if I'm making 10 lineups, I would probably go um, maybe seven Usman, three Covington, something like that. Maybe even eight Usman, two Covington. Because if you're using Covington, like we have to have dogs in our lineup, but using Covington, you're not being you're not being tricky at all. He's going to be the most popular underdog on the whole card. So by you starting there, you're going to have to get different elsewhere because that that's not a pick that's going to separate you from the field. I'm going to be loading up on these three title fights, but I'm going to either either leave money on the table or pick some crazy dogs, some some favorites we don't really like in our lineup, something to get a little different because you're not going to win 50k by yourself if you're running out all chalk plays. Uh, but for this one, I do like Usman. He'll be in most of my lineups. So in the co-main event in the evening, and I, I just got to say right off the bat, uh, this card must be a DraftKings uh, a DraftKings dream because, man, co-main event, just like the main event, both these guys average a very high amount of points. You got the volume striking of Max Holloway. He tees off on his opponents versus Alexander Volkanovsky, who can take guys down. He can knock guys out. Uh, Who's going to walk home the UFC featherweight champion? So this is, I think, the closest one of the title fights. Um, I, I'm picking I'm picking Holloway again here. I like the champ. But I think Volkanovski is one of the most live dogs on the card, and he's going to be the underdog I have the most of this week. Uh, but, again, it's going to be another fight that should be in every one of your lineups because at their prices, it's going to be real hard for them not to make that optimal lineup with the pace that they bring. Um I mean, Holloway can put up 160 points just with significant strikes alone. Like, his pace is insane. You love to have that. And then on the other side, at Volkanovski, with his takedowns, his pace that he sets, only at 7,500, there's no chance that he wins and he's not on the 50K lineup. So that's why you have to target this fight. I'm not going to be as close as, I mean, as all in as I am on Usman. I think I'll be closer to 50-50 on this one, maybe 60-40 Holloway. I also think you can stack this one in cash. I think this is actually the better one to stack. Um, I think you can stack both the fights, though, in a cash game lineup. You can't do anything like that in a GPP because you, you're going to need five or six wins in there. But cash games, I think you can go ahead and throw in Usman, Covington, Holloway, Volkanovski, and just work from there, lock in your 250-plus points with that and hope that everyone else makes the mistakes. But for GPPs, I'm going to take Holloway. If I'm only running out one lineup, I would rather just go, have, go ahead and have the pace volume from Holloway. I do think he'll be able to keep this on the feet more than not or get back to his feet. And I just have a hard time seeing Volkanovski win three or more rounds. I think it's definitely possible. This will probably be a pretty close fight, but it's harder to pick against Holloway. And I love the guy on DraftKings. I don't think 8700 is a high enough price tag for him. If two title fights wasn't enough, you got a third one because Amanda Nunes is taking on Jermaine Durandamy. It's a rematch. Amanda Nunes won the first time inside the distance. Since that point, both ladies have gone on to touch UFC gold. I mean, uh, you thinking Amanda Nunes retains that belt? Yeah, I like Nunes here. I think it's going to be similar to their first fight. I think she should and will go for takedowns here. She's at a smart camp. Um, why, why get risky and stand with, with GDR when that's literally her only way to win this fight? Um, 
So I like Nunes here a lot. She's going to be one of my favorite plays on the whole slate. Um, and this isn't going to be one that I'm I'm splitting down the middle at all. I might go zero Durand to me this week and almost all my lineups on Nunes. But I think this is a fight you can get away from. Everyone's going to target these three title fights. So we got to be different somewhere. Um, I don't mind fading Nunes and maybe going with like a Matt Brown pivot because he's going to be half as owned as Nunes. And if Matt Brown goes out there and gets a first round knockout, that's a hundred plus points. And if we get maybe if we get uh, Nunez's average of 98.7 from her, then Matt Brown's going to kick her off that optimal lineup at half the ownership. So you got to kind of think about those things when you're going for 50 K solo in a tournament with close to 10,000 people. And you want to differentiate yourself somewhere. This could be one of the fights to do it, but Nunez is my favorite player on the card. Uh, I'm sure I'll have way more of her than anybody else. Um, her and Usman are going to be my top two on the entire card. So that's where most of my lineups will start. I'm not getting any different at all from the field there, so I'm going to have to do it elsewhere in my lineups. So you mentioned you're going to have zero Jermaine Durandamy. You said Matt Brown might be a good option there, but let me ask you this. Are you going to have more Ben Saunders than Jermaine Durandamy uh, hoping for a body kick? Yeah, I'll definitely have a – well, I don't know. how. I'm not going to have a lot of them, but I do want at least one Ben Saunders lineup because he does have a legit path to even 100-plus points. He could knock out Brown with a body kick, but – with GDR, the only way she's going to score highly is with a knockout, and I just don't see that happening. So Jose Aldo's making the drop to Bantamweight. He's taking on the number one contender, Marlon Marais. A lot of talk uh, about Aldo's weight cut. Now uh, everything is on the line Saturday night. Who do you think gets it done? See, this one, this, I was just telling you off air, this reminds me so much of that TJ Dillashaw-Henry Cejudo fight. Um, I was saying back then that if they were fighting at 135 pounds, I would have bet. TJ Dillashaw but all that way he's cutting I just felt like that was going to have a big effect on his brain and he wouldn't be able to take a shot so I bet Cejudo you bet Cejudo so we cashed in there but this is the same thing for me if this fight was at 145 pounds I'd probably be betting Aldo especially at this line but even at Pickham I think I might pick Aldo outright but at 135 the way he's looking I just don't think his chin can hold up so I'm on Marias here I think Marias is going to knock him out um, I do want some Mariah, Mariah's lineups. It's, it's going to be hard for me to afford when I'm going so heavy on Usman and Nunez. But I do want to make sure to get some exposure to Mariah's here. Um, with the way I'm building lineups, it, it's almost easier for me to just plug in Aldo as one of my underdogs and hope that his chin does hold up. So I'm sure I'm going to end up on a couple Aldo lineups, but I, I don't like it at all. I mean, I think he's going to end up with like maybe five points in this fight and get knocked out in the first round. Marias maybe flirting with that 50k lineup and, and Aldo maybe debating on retirement because he, he doesn't have a chin anymore and he's not sure what weight class he should be in I, I just hate these kind of moves from fighters so I'm fading the weight cut here I'm gonna take Marias for a knockout and last but not least you got Peter Yan taking on Uriah Faber Uriah Faber uh spoiled a lot of people's plans against Ricky Simone not too long ago, you think he makes it a second straight upset against the very talented Peter Yan? Nah, I don't see that happening. I think Yan's just too good for him everywhere. Uh, I think Yan can beat him on the feet, beat him on the ground, and the only way that I see him losing is either by a knockout or a guillotine choke. Um, if either one of those things happen, Faber can score highly from that, but I just I don't know how Faber wins a decision here. Um, so you're, you're fully playing the, the finish if you're trying to invest in favor here i don't think i'm going to be doing any of that 
it's going to be yen or pass mostly for me, but the problem is affording yen at $9,400 uh, when we got my Usman and uh, Nunez on the card that I, I'm going to be targeting more of. So I don't see me getting to a whole lot of yen. I'll try to throw him in a couple lineups if I can because I think he's live for the finish here. But I could also see like an 80-point decision victory from him where it's almost like a hard sparring match where he's not trying to kill Faber out there, but he's just doing enough to get the win. I mean, 80 to 85 points, that's not going to do it at his price tag. So that's kind of what I'm thinking in my head, to, trying to talk myself of staying away from this fight on the fights that I like more. But I could also see 120-plus points from him, maybe an end of the first-round finish. Um, I, I don't know how he's going to get it done, but I'm pretty confident Ian does get it done, and it's going to be him or pass. The only problems affording him at 9,400. Well, Kyle, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. It's going down this Saturday in Las Vegas, Nevada, UFC 245. The fans can follow you at Big Marley 3. Your bets and your write-ups are available at bestfightpicks.com. Yes, sir. Got a max bet going this week. Feel good about it. I just sent you my write-up, so that's good to go. Uh, it's, it's almost 17,000 words this week. Hit on every single fight. I tell you kind of what I like from a betting breakdown, and then I hit it on it for a DraftKings angle as well. I don't give any bets away in there, but I think it could help you out if you're looking as a, uh, just a gambler, not a DraftKings player. I think it's worth the read. So check it out. It's only eight bucks. Uh, and then cash that max bet ticket with me, guys. Let's get it. So before we talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch, just got to remind you all to hit up our sponsor, FlavCBD, at FlavCBD.com. Use that promo code BATTLE to save 10% off. Hit them up. Uh, it's December. I know y'all will really enjoy what they got. So flavcbd.com use that promo code battle to save 10%. And Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC 245? My fight to watch is going to be the co-main event between Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky. I mean, when you watch Max Holloway fight, this guy throws down to a point. I mean, this guy will get in your face and throw punches and, and see what you're made of. And when you got a guy like Volkanovsky, on the other hand, who's got that power and mixed in with the feints and the volume, I don't see how it doesn't shape out for a, uh, for a fight of the night type of fight. I think the winner of that fight's definitely getting a bonus, and that's my fight to watch. Yeah, I mean, tell me who's not going to be watching that featherweight co-main event. But for me, my fight to watch is the prelim main event between Jeff Neal and Mike Perry. Remind me the last time you saw a boring Mike Perry or Jeff Neal fight because you can't. I think these two are going to stand and bang until one man falls or until they both get 50K bonuses for fight of the night. So I'm going Jeff Neal versus Mike Perry to be the fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC 245? My fighter to watch is going to be Colby Covington. Look. Whether you don't like the guy or not, the guy's been adding uh, a lot of humor to this card, unlike a lot of other people. The guy's at least making an effort to do something. I mean, a lot of these guys are too nice, you know, snooze fest and boring, man. At least the kid's doing something. He's making an effort. Uh, I like his fighting style as well. He's got a tough, tough fight here against Kamaru Usman. And kind of my fighter to watch is both of them because the winner of this fight has got a, it might get a big fat payday against a, uh, the street king, my boy George Masvidal. I mean, that's on the horizons. And George is the biggest star in MMA right now. And if Kobe wins, you already know they're about to, you know, show all those clips of uh, them wrestling uh, in the apartment, wrestling in the apartment, and, <laughs> and them being best buds and whatnot. And and Usman and George have beef as well. So you know, uh, the winner of this fight's got a big payday on the horizons. For sure. And my fighter to watch is Marlon Moraes. I think uh, Marlon uh, is poised to not just come out here and get a victory, but to defeat a former UFC champion, future Hall of Famer. And I feel like the UFC is positioning him in a spot where 
Hey, go out there and get the biggest win of your career in highlight reel fashion. This guy's cutting way too much weight. He's depleting himself to a point where I don't even know if he's going to recover the next day and perform. So I'm going Marlon Moraes uh, to be the fighter to watch. And I think he's going to knock out the great, the legendary Jose Aldo. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday, UFC 245. They can follow you at MMAGenius05 or your Instagram, ShaqBFP. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks, our Instagram, Best Fight Picks Official. You can check out our bets at bestfightpicks.com. VIP, buy one, get one free, meaning you buy UFC 245. We got you on that UFC Korea card, which is coming up, uh, Korean Zombie versus Frankie Edgar. Buy one, get one free, bestfightpicks.com. Make sure you subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, and all the places where we are available. We want to thank all our fans so much for all your support. We truly appreciate it. We Enjoy will be those fights. Yes, sir. We will be back next week. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.